0: God's word to us this morning comes from Mark, in the fourth chapter, in the 35th through the 41st verse. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's words for us this morning. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, John. Good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning as we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, The world... Is not a safe place. Um, It's dangerous. I'm sure most of you have seen the news. Last couple days, wars broke out in Israel. Uh, This morning, there was another earthquake, Uh, this time in Afghanistan. I think a couple thousand different people were killed. Uh, Mark chapter 13, we're not going to be covering that this morning, but Mark 13, verse 8, Jesus says, For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And you think about those things and you're, you know, we live our suburban lives and things seem great, but there's always this, there's always something right around the corner. There's always something that, that causes us to be anxious. It's a dangerous place. It's not safe. And this morning's passage in Mark chapter Four, verse 35 through 41, "The disciples' obedience to Jesus, it takes them in harm's way. It takes them in harm's way. and their response is one of fear. Uh, Jesus asked them two questions. He asked them two questions, and these questions are designed to teach the disciples and us about the relationship between faith and fear. Uh, three questions. Three questions that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, First of all, a question about fear, a question about faith. And the third question is not a question that the disciples ask, or rather that Jesus asked, but it's one that the disciples ask, and it's a question about identity. So those are the three things that we're going to look uh, to this morning. And at the close of this message, we'll celebrate communion and be reminded why uh, even though the world is a dangerous place, we have nothing to fear. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in humble dependence and adoration. We think about all that's going on in the world on the other side of the globe with the earthquake that hit uh, this morning in Afghanistan and the war in Israel and the people that are that are just in pain and suffering and their futures are uncertain. And then we look here in our own neighborhoods and in our own homes And, um, sickness, disease, cancer, broken relationship, the fears that we face day to day, Lord, um, Lord, we're not any different than these disciples who got in that boat and asked if you cared. So Lord, I pray that you would calm hearts, that you would be the Prince of peace. And Lord, we pray that you would bring, um, healing where healing is needed, conviction where conviction is needed. And Lord, turn our eyes and our hearts towards you that we might hope and then we might walk In confidence, Lord, not confidence in our own abilities, but confidence that you have, um, that you have this, and you will get us to the other side. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, first of all, before we get to the uh, before we get to the three questions, a little bit of context here. Uh, In Mark chapters one through three, we've covered that. What we have is Jesus comes on the scene and he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand, and he exhorts people to repent and believe, and be baptized. So this is the beginning of Jesus saying, the kingdom's here. I am bringing it. And then right after that announcement, he begins to demonstrate his authority as this king, as this king. He begins to heal. And when he enters the synagogue and he teaches, the, the people are listening and are like, who is this that teaches with authority? So he's different. From the scribes he's different from the Pharisees. he's preaching with authority. He casts out demons, He heals. He's doing all of these things, clarifying that he actually has authority. And then he keeps dropping this, this tagline, "The Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, who has authority even over the Sabbath." So they're, they're, they're seeing Jesus do these miracles. They're hearing him proclaim the coming of the kingdom, and they're seeing that he is saying that I have authority. So that's the context. And then last week, Pastor Josh um, walked us through chapters, uh, chapter 4, 1 through 34, in, in various parables about the kingdom, about the kingdom. So now Jesus is, he's teaching about the kind of person who's actually going to receive the kingdom, there's some, some people are going to have ears to hear, and they're going to have eyes to see, and some people are not going to hear, and some people are not going to see. And so last week, Pastor Josh walked us through the parable of the four soils, these four different types of hearts that receive the word of God. So Jesus teaches on who will actually receive the kingdom. And then this morning, we're going to see the disciples in obedience to Jesus get in a boat go across the Sea of Galilee, and they're encountered with a storm, a life-threatening storm. And they're taking in water, and the boat is beginning to sink. Naturally, this is an opportunity, or an opportunity rather, a a, a context where it's natural to be afraid. And so that that's what Brings us up to the point where we're at. Now, let's take a look. The first question is a question about fear. It's a question about fear. So let's take a look. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Wait for it. There's great calm. And now he asked the question, Why are you so afraid? Now, I've changed the way I view this passage. I think probably five years ago, um, I read that question with a sense of annoyance, with a sense of, I want to strangle the disciples. How could you be so dense? How could you be so stupid? In other words, I read my personality into Jesus when he is speaking. I don't see it that way anymore. I, I don't think Jesus is impatient with them Um I, I don't think this is meant to be a chastisement where he is spanking them and this is a beat down. Why does Jesus ever ask questions? Is he look, first of all, is Jesus curious as to why they're afraid? Is he, is he looking for information that he doesn't already know? No, no, He's he's not frustrated and he's not looking for information. He's asking them the question, so they can understand something about themselves that they don't understand. Okay, so he's asking for their benefit. He's asking for their benefit. The question seems obvious. I mean, if, if you're Peter, if you're James and you're John, you're, your occupation is a fisherman, and he says, why are you afraid? I mean, what, the, the obvious answer is, Drowning? because the boat was sinking i mean it seems like a it seems like a silly question it seems like a silly question he wants them to understand the question is literally why are you so afraid the word afraid the word afraid here it 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 means timid cowardly lacking in confidence why are you so timid why are you so afraid why do you lack confidence Why are you being a coward right now? Why? Why? What what is the source? What is the source of your fear? What's the source of your anxiety? So the definition of fear, if we're going to understand, if we're going to answer that question for ourselves, why are we afraid? Why are we anxious? First of all, the definition of fear, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Okay, now, before we're too hard on the disciples, is a sinking boat a dangerous situation? Yes. Yes. Is that likely to cause them pain? Yes. Yes. Is it a threat? Yes. Yes. The question seems really unwarranted if you think about it. Why shouldn't I be afraid? This is how people get killed. I was just, I, I, I finished a sermon last week, and because I'm old, on my playlist I listen to '70s all the time, '70s music, and I'm listening. All of a sudden, um, oh, that Canadian. The, elite, there you go, Gordon Lightfoot, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. You know that song? I won't sing it for you, but there's one particular line in that song when the ship is going down. He's there's a there's a verse. He says. Where does the love of God go when the waves turn the minutes to hours? You see, he's literally singing about a ship where, where, where a whole bunch of people died in, in this storm. So this is, a, this is a totally reasonable to be afraid because that's what fear is. Fear is an emotion. By the way, it's a God-given hardwired emotion. It's not bad in and of itself. Now I know people think that fear and faith are they're opposing, and if you have fear or faith you never have fear and you should never be afraid. Utter nonsense. There are times you should be afraid. There are times you should have fear. Fear drives people to do things that that, that are necessary for survival. It's an instinct. It's hardwired into us. It's an instinct. It helps us respond to danger by either fleeing, fighting, or fixing the problem. What what were the disciples doing when they woke Jesus up? They're bailing. They're trying to fix the problem. And, And they're looking at Jesus, who has no fear here, asleep, and they can't figure out why he's not afraid. Because the normal response in this context is fear. If you're not afraid of anything, which is not true of any of you, there's something emotionally, uh, psychologically wrong with you, and you will go through life putting yourself in danger all the time. You won't live long if you don't have the emotion of fear. So in and of itself, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is not a bad thing, but it can disable us. See, the problem is not the threat. The problem is not even their emotional response to the threat, the fear. The problem is how they process it. So let's take a look at what the issue here is. So let's back it up a few verses. Verse 38. When he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, they awoke him, and what did they say? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The problem is not the fact that they're afraid of the storm. The problem is that now they lay blame at the feet of Jesus and they've impugned his character. Don't you care? What's the assumption here? That he doesn't care. If he cared, a couple different things should be happening in their minds. A, there shouldn't be a storm. Or he should at least be standing and bailing with them. The fact that he is not active and demonstrating that he is trying to fix things for them demonstrates in their minds that he does not care about their peril. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's not the threat. It's how we process the threat. In Paul Tripp's excellent book on suffering, he says that, suffering pain, just, just pain, raw pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, it is what it is, right? And that's a problem in and of itself. But here's, here's what he says. The greater problem is not just the pain. The greater problem is what's going through our minds as we're experiencing the pain. The greater problem here is not their fear. It's what they're thinking regarding the source of their fear. They are now thinking that Jesus does not care about them in their peril. It's not just the storm and, yeah, we could drown. It's the fact that they don't think that Jesus cares for them at that moment. Every single one of you has experienced a moment in your life or multiple moments where you have been in peril. It could be an emotional situation it could be a relational situation it could be a physical thing it could be an illness it could be a financial thing whatever it is that your circumstances whatever's happening something happened in your life or you're right in the middle of the storm right now the waves are coming in the boats filling up and you look at your circumstance and you look at your situation and you cry out to God and you say why don't you care Every single one of you has done it. You see, Brooks, how could you be so confident? I know people. You're not different than these disciples, nor am I. I decided to follow Christ in 1988. I decided to give my life in full-time ministry in 1998. Within one month of beginning to preach the gospel, working with college students, my son's kidneys shut down. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, Brooks, this story again? Seriously? It's it's formative in, in my life as a pastor and as a follower of Christ. So we didn't know... What was wrong with him? And we took him to the hospital and he was, he was at the U of I hospital for two weeks and they're searching for all sorts of different things and they can't figure it out. Why is his kidneys not working? He's six years old. And, and finally they say he has Wagner's disease. What's Wagner's disease? It's an autoimmune disease where the body thinks the kidneys and the lungs shouldn't be there and it turns on them and begins to attack them. Well, what's the prognosis? There is no prognosis. There's no cure We'll start treating him with massive doses of steroids. Eventually, his kidneys will shut down and he'll have to have a transplant and he could possibly die. So I remember holding it together emotionally, which is a miracle for me, but holding it together long enough for the doctor to leave the hospital room where my son is in bed and my wife and I are just listening to this. And as soon as he's up, I just bolt out of the room and I, I I begin to wander the the labyrinth of the university of Iowa hospital hallways. And I remember crying out to God and I, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along these lines. I've given you my life. I've given you everything. What is this? Now, what is the implication there? I didn't say it, but what's the implication? He doesn't care, and for some reason, my decision to get in the boat with him guaranteed me smooth sailing. That was the assumption. That's clearly what I perceived. And when tragedy strikes... Or when the boat starts rocking and you start to become afraid and I become afraid, we start asking God, where are you and why don't you care? Of course a parent should be afraid when their child's kidneys stop working. What mother, what father would not have anxiety? That's not the problem. The problem is not the anxiety of the mom and dad at the, at the bed of their son in the hospital. The problem is the thought process where the dad says, I got in this boat and you owe me smooth sailing. That's the problem. So what is it for you? I don't know. But you're not different than than they are. We're not different than they are. So Jesus asked the question, why are you so afraid? He's not rebuking you for the fact that you're you're going through this trouble and and there's anxiousness about it. He wants you and I, he wants them to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. To be aware of what's going through our minds and how we view him in relationship to the storms that you and I go through or are going through currently, or will go through tomorrow. Why are you so afraid? Everybody's afraid at times. The problem is when fear leads to mistrust. See, that's the issue here. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There is a relational rift here, between them and their master, they are clearly demonstrating they don't feel he's trustworthy at this point. That's the problem, not the fact that they're afraid of drowning. So, we move now to the second question. It's a question about faith. So what are you afraid of? It's a question about fear. The second question that Jesus asks concerns faith. Let's take a look. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Second question, have you still no faith? He didn't say, have you no faith? He says, still? I mean, have you still no faith? Now, first of all, that begs the question, Faith in what? Let me tell you what Jesus is not referring to. He's not talking about this nebulous faith in faith. Yeah, have you ever come across people that whenever something is going wrong in, in the world or, or their life, they just say, well, you know, you just, you just got to have faith. I'm sorry. You just have to have faith. F- f- faith in what? Does that mean that, that faith that everything's going to turn out Okay. Is it, is it faith and faith so there's I, and a lot of people, including Christians, believe that what this faith entails is just the positive belief that it's all going to turn out okay. you know ships sink, kids die, people get divorced earthquake happens two thousand people are killed in an instant is that is so if if we just Believe a little more? None of those things happen? Is that what Jesus is saying? No. That is utter foolishness. I get it, parents. When the thunderstorms come and your six-year-old says, is everything going to be okay? And you say what? You say, everything's going to be okay. You don't know that. Unless, of course, by okay, you mean Jesus is going to get us to the other side, either through death or in old age or a tornado and the house collapses in the next 20 minutes. One way or the other, we're going to be fine. If that's what you mean, then that's totally true. If what you mean that you guarantee that that the storm isn't going to break down the house, that... The uh, invaders aren't going to come. You, no, you don't know that. But I get it. They're six. You have to comfort them. <laughs> have you still no faith? This isn't faith and faith. What is he talking about? This is faith. This faith that Jesus refers to is, is do you still not trust me? See, so that's what faith is faith is trust you still don't trust me? And this isn't faith in faith, like everything's going to be okay, there's not going to be storms, the boat's not going to sink, nobody's going to die, nobody's going to get hurt, there's not going to be any risk involved as we go through following you. It's not that. He's, you still don't trust me. You still don't trust me. You see, the faith that Jesus refers to is trusting him to make good on his promises. That's it. Faith in Jesus is about trusting his specific promises. So well, what, what promises are they supposed to be trusting here that's going to cause them to not fear? Back it up a few verses. On that day, the beginning of this story, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across the other side. The other side of what? The lake. So what's Jesus' intended purpose? At the end of the day, he expects to be where? The other side of the lake. Here's here's something the disciples have seen over and over and over with Jesus. When he says a thing is, it is. Look at it this way. Guys, did I not say that we were going to get in the boat and go from this side to that side? Did I not say that? And what would the disciples say? Yeah, I guess I guess you did. Okay. Did I tell you that when we all got on the boat that there wasn't going to be a storm? Did I make a promise that it was going to be smooth sailing? No. Did I tell you that we were going to get to the other side? Yes. Why don't you trust me? Have I not demonstrated that I have the authority to carry out and make true to bring about my promises. See, this is the issue here. It's not about trusting that God's never going to allow anything negative t- for us to experience. That's not it. It's about what promises has he given us? His promise is this. Come hell or high water, I will carry you through to the other side. Nothing can take from you what I have given to you. You may lose your health. You may lose your loved ones. But you cannot take that which you cannot lose. Trust me in the midst of the storms. Trust me. It's a question about faith. Third question. It's a question about identity. So Jesus doesn't ask any more questions, but the disciples do. Let's take a look. He awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was great calm. And then here's the two questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Let's just stop and consider that for a minute. Now, the threat's over. What's what's the condition of the sea right now, Sea of Galilee? It's still it's calm. Now they were afraid when when the boat was about ready to sink. It's like oh that makes sense, but the word here there's two words. Great fear, megaphobos, megaphobos. Uh, the word for afraid in in uh, verse forty it means timid, cowardly, lacking confidence. The word that's translated "fear," phobos, it means terrorized. Okay, do you do you see the irony here? The threat's gone, but now they're terrified. Why? What's the text say? W- why are they afraid? Not not afraid. Why are they filled with terror? Because of the guy in the boat. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, uh, one of the characters describes Aslan, this Christ figure, which is a big lion, and they're talking about whether or not he's safe. And one of the characters says, oh, no, 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 he is not safe. Oh, he's good, but he's not safe. If you have this idea that Jesus is safe, you're not looking at the one true God, which has become man and gave his life for many. You're believing in a character of God, which doesn't exist. Jesus is not safe. I mean, he's good, but he's not safe. And the disciples are starting to get a glimpse of, I don't think I really understand the depth of who this individual is that I'm in this, that I'm following. And they're totally unnerved by the fact that they are out of danger now. He is God. He's demonstrated his authority over sickness, over demons. He's demonstrated his authority over the Sabbath, over the law. And now he's just demonstrated that he has authority over natural forces, storms, wind, waves. And by the word of his mouth, He stills everything. They're terrified. They're terrified. They're filled with great fear. And they ask, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What's happening is a reordering of their fears. It's normal. It's natural for you to be afraid of uncertainty, of, of a broken relationship, of... That's what fear is. It's, a, it's an emotional response, an unpleasant emotional response to a perceived threat. That threat can be emotional. It could be physical. It could be a threat to your life. That's normal. That's normal. And, and you're going to have those fears. But what the disciples are, are what's happening right now is that they're, they're reordering their fears. They have a greater fear. They have a greater fear, which, which puts in lines all the lesser fears. You see, what you fear, that is, revere or hold in awe, governs you. You'll be controlled by it. I'm going to throw out a... The word fear here, or in the the last verse, the word fear, phobos, is often translated reverence or awe or terror or all the above. In one sense, Jesus is absolutely awful. Do you know what I mean by that? Awful, filled with awe. He should unnerve you if you think about it. Not this fear that he's going to crush you, but maybe. Maybe. It depends if you have a relationship with him. Jesus is good, but he's not safe, especially to those who reject him and will not bow to his authority. And this is why Jesus in Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty eight, says, Don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying you, it, you should be afraid of death, but you shouldn't be afraid of death. What you should ultimately be afraid of is you need the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the disciples in that boat found it the fear of the Lord they found this fear of the Lord. Jesus is saying to them, he's saying to us, he's saying to you, listen, you don't have to be afraid of death. If you fear me, if you fear me, and you revere me, and you worship me, death can't harm you. The storms can't ultimately take anything I've given to you. But if you don't fear me, your body and soul will be cast into hell. That's a stark contrast. You say, how can he be so sure? How could Jesus be so sure? How can he, how can he just say that to people in a boat that almost, that moments before they were certain to drown? How can he say that to us now? I was listening or actually reading a sermon by Tim Keller on this very passage and he made the connection that I didn't make. But, he said, there's another story of sailors in a boat and a miraculous calming of the storm, and it's found in Jonah. We went through Jonah a number of years ago, but in Matthew 12, the, uh, the Pharisees, they demand a sign from Jesus. Show us a sign, then we'll believe. He says, I'm not going to give you a sign. No. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, who was three days in the belly of a, of a fish, so I will be three days in the belly of the earth. It's like this weird cryptic reference to Jonah. Well, you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah's a prophet. He's supposed to go to Nineveh to to preach to the Ninevites, the Israel's enemies. And he's supposed to go there. It'd be modern day, it'd be like someone in Israel. Hey, you're supposed to go to Tehran and preach to the Ayatollah, you know, the funder of Hamas. So that's where I want you to go. And he says ain't going to happen. He gets on a ship, sails in the exact opposite direction. Then there's a great storm. There's a great storm. And the, the sailors are all bailing water and they're throwing their tackle overboard to try to lighten the ship. Where's Jonah? He's asleep. And the sailors come down and they wake him up. Don't you care that we are perishing? Any parallels? Now, they ask him, What's, why, why, why is this happening? He says, well, I'm in disobedience to my God, the maker of the skies, the makings of the heaven, the makings of the universe. And he says, if you throw me overboard, everything will be all right. And they're like, we don't want to do that, take your life. And he says, trust me, it'll be fine. And so they try, nonetheless, to not throw him overboard, but the ship is sinking. And so finally, they toss him overboard. Sea is calm. What does Jonah say? Or what does the book say? It says, and they were filled with great terror. It's calm now. Now, what's what's the main difference between the two stories? In Jonah, he gets tossed overboard. In this story, nobody gets tossed overboard. Or do they? What did Jesus say in Matthew 12? I will give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale, I will be three days in the belly of the earth. The reason that Jesus can say to you, I'll get you to the other side is because he threw himself over so that you could make it to the other side. He willingly took the sins of the world on himself. He took your mistrust of him. He took my mistrust of him. He took the disciples' mistrust of him. He took your lust. He took your greed. He took your malice. He took your pride. He took all of those things which demonstrate that you don't trust. He took all of those on himself like a millstone and he hurled himself into the sea and he sunk to the depths. And when he was on the cross, he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you would never be forsaken. So that you could get in that boat and experience the wind and experience the waves and experience the pain and experience the uncertainty of your future and know that your ultimate future is ultimately secure. And that's why there's good reason to fear him him alone. we're going to celebrate communion so as they come forward we celebrate communion here at grace we practice open communion that means that you do not have to be a member here at grace but rather just a follower of christ who has put your faith and trust in him if you have not placed your faith and trust in jesus you can do that right now what does that mean it just simply means to confess your sins to him lord jesus i fail to trust you but I am coming to you now. Rescue me from my sins. And the scriptures say that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we take this bread and as we take this juice, hold on to it and meditate on Jesus' sacrifice for you and contemplate that and worship him as as we sing and we'll come back and we'll take communion together. Father, We worship you, and we thank you. Give us the strength and the faith to continue to trust, regardless of what storms come our way. And Lord, encourage us, Lord, and help us to encourage others, encourage one another as we go through life together and we experience fears and pain, tragedies and triumphs, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to continue to trust you as you walk us through this world and bring us safely to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.